Hi, everybody. It's me. You're probably not used to hearing me start the show. You're probably thinking, wait a minute, what's going on? Darren usually kicks us off right at the top. Well, the reason is we are doing a flashback episode this week because Darren and I are on vacation. Mama bear, papa cat, whatever the hell we're calling Darren these days. Um, We've been working our butts off, to be quite frank with you. And I didn't want to lug my entire studio with my soundboard all the way to Mexico. I'm sure you can understand that. So we're taking a week off of new episodes, but this will be a flashback one. We'll be back with new episodes very soon. Listen, we've got a lot of kids. You know how hard it is being the parent of tens of hundreds of thousands of you guys listening? You know, it's it's not easy. It's a lot of mouths to feed, as they say. But without further ado, here is a flashback to an episode that you might remember from last year. And we hope you enjoy it. And we hope you're staying safe and enjoying, uh, you know, the beginnings of summer. We'll talk to you guys very soon. Johnny boy, welcome Hi. to Shaking the Disturbed, everyone. What's going hey. on? Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. You know, John, I, was... I feel like I just saw you, like, in person, because we just did our Patreon live stream. Oh, and, yeah, right. And I, and I was like, why do I feel like I just saw John? And then I was like, wait a minute, I actually haven't <laughs> you did. seen John, though, <laughs> in like a year and fucking half. So I know. I mean, it's, yeah, just been about over a year. I was just wondering about that, too. The last time I remember seeing you was we were I was still at Oxygen. We were doing a promotion, I think, at Sirius XM. This was when we were on the Jenny McCarthy show. Mm-hmm. Dream for me because mm-hmm. I love her. And I wasn't feeling well that day. I didn't tell anybody, but I was not feeling oh, great good. that so day. Yeah, so head COVID. Without, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you know? Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think that was the last time I saw you, and that was the beginning of March 2020. So we are well overdue for a meetup now that we're both vaccinated and oh life God, is yes. getting back to normal. Yeah. I do kind of hope that the, and then I want to get into what you're drinking and we can get into the case because mm-hmm. it's a really good case. I've already but, started. But, yeah. um, oh, good boy. Um, yeah, no. But don't you think that like there was before there was this stigma and granted, I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm just speaking of like the jobs that I've had where it's like mm-hmm. you try not to take out sick. Like people will judge you oh, if you yeah. take like every sick day that you possibly possibly have and so a lot of people come in with like slight fevers or coughs and they don't tell anyone but I feel like the pandemic has sort of shifted that now (laughs) where it's like people now feel or should feel this sort of like personal responsibility to tell your cube mate or whatever or co-workers whatever it is that you might not be feeling as well as yeah yeah I think you're so right the whole culture has changed about that but not also like also, like, not just come into work and tell people, like, actually stay home now. Like, exactly. you know, because there was a lot of stigma about, like, taking the day and, like, whatever. But at least I, I can speak on behalf of working at NBC. They were amazing, especially leading up to the pandemic about, like, if you're not feeling well, don't come in. That day in particular, though, I was fine. Like, I didn't have any of the COVID symptoms that we knew of at the time. Right. Um, and nobody I know around me ever got COVID. So I don't think that's what I had. You know how I am with my allergies every year so yes i'm sure it was something like that but yeah i think the whole yeah the whole culture has shifted in that way and i think that's a good thing you know maybe we'll just make smarter healthier choices moving forward as a result lord help us and speaking of making smart and healthy decisions what are you (laughs) drinking john well i am drinking i still have my baileys swear to god yeah okay it's not gonna be the whiskey i know i've been drinking lots of whiskey um but i did have some baileys and it's kind of a cold day like i don't know how it is in new york but the weather yeah the weather has snapped back to being kind of chilly so i'm enjoying my baileys in a warm cup of uh coffee right here with you darren and it's just soothing my soul as we get into today's episode what are you drinking I'm drinking good old-fashioned water, uh, and the reason nice. I am drinking water is because 
And we're going to get to this in our Patreon after show where <laughs> I can probably elaborate yeah. more. But I have just like, it does feel like New York City is kind of coming back. And I've had these like mm. drinks meetings now. I went to this like Real Housewives of New York, like premiere watch party thing with a few of us. And it just feels like I'm drinking now regularly again. And I need mm-hmm. a break. Like my yeah, body yeah, can't yeah. handle it from, because I don't really drink by myself in a pandemic. You know, I've never done yeah, that. Yeah. Not just pandemic. So I just need to rehydrate today and make sure my skin looks you. clear. So I'm drinking water, but I don't believe in it being hopefully nine years of bad luck if you cheers with water. So I'm I'm cheersing yeah, to no. you right now, and I will take cheers. on the bad luck for this podcast for all of us. Cheers, everyone. There we go. I like that. And by the way, we are promoting healthy drinking habits on the show, not just endlessly, mindlessly drinking. So that's why Darren is also doing this. I like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> by the way, before we get into the show here in just a second, um, multiple people were asking me about this Real Housewives thing that you went to. And I'm like, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't even know what it is. But um, just wanted you to know that people are asking me about it. Wait, asking um, you about what? Something about the Real Housewives party thing, I think, that you oh. were just talking about. Yes, I don't know. the Real Housewives of New York party. Um, yeah. We're going to get into that in our after show. I'm going to walk you through All what right. happened. I'm gonna there you go. Do. So now you, now you have to, if you're interested in that, you have to sign up for Patreon and go listen to it. Because that's where Darren's going to dish the tea. That's sounds right. like. Yeah. Darren, shall we get into this week's episode? I think we should. It's a really interesting one. Um, you're sort of related to it. I'm not, but yeah. I will find a way to relate to it. So kick us off this week with this murder. Well, I want to mention before we start it that the DC sniper cases, which is what we're talking about today, uh, definitely affected me. I lived in and am currently living in Western Maryland at the moment. And um, we'll get into all the details about like where and how the DC sniper was shooting and like where he ended up getting caught and things like that. But it was a pretty real thing that was definitely affecting and influencing my family and friends and neighbors and things like that. So, um, but Darren, you know, you do have a connection because DC is Darren Carp. So there's and that. I think a cool name would be DC sniper, but I got to say, anytime <laughs> you hear about a sniper, there seems to be this, yeah. like in a weird way, when I picture it, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm watching The Sinner right now, which was a USA show, and I think now it's on Netflix. And okay. it's really, it's 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 like you know who killed, but you don't know why. So it's not a who done it, it's a why done it type of oh, type okay. of show, which is really interesting. And yeah. I think I've just been thinking about it. One of the killings is kind of brutal, and it's like there's something still so brutal about a sniper because I know. it's it's impersonal. And I don't mean that like murder should be personal, but it's almost like this. I don't know, this like six degree of separation, right, that it could like at any time it could happen. And sometimes I know this sounds kind of crazy, but because um, I live, I have big, big windows. Sometimes I picture Mm. like Mm -hmm. if I see like a little laser pointer dot in my living room and I don't know where it's coming, like I'm like, I'm already like, like Terminator status. Like I'm already so paranoid, even though that wouldn't happen. So this, well, this case definitely left me shaken and disturbed. And disturbed. That's also a good reason to get a cat, because if there's a laser pointer, your cat's going to know it first. You know what I mean? Good. I mean, as if I needed another reason to get <laughs> right, a cat, get but a cat. yes, good point, good point. We wanted to tell you guys about this amazing jewelry line we found called Ana Luisa. You can check them out at analuisa.com. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com. And let me tell you guys, as you know, I am not a, a overdone jewelry type of person. I like simple, timeless, classic pieces that I can layer. Well, let me tell you, I got three gold, incredible, all different change from Ana Luisa, and I have been layering them with my other necklaces, my other pieces with themselves. They're beautiful. They're long lasting. They're versatile. I'm obsessed with them. I've been wearing them every day. It's actually kind of hard for me to take them off. And you know, the great part is that you guys listening right now get a special discount if you want to treat yourself and your loved ones. Just go to analuisa.com shaken and use code shaken to get 10% off. I was perusing their website and they have such awesome pieces of really timeless and versatile jewelry for such affordable prices starting at just $39. And with 10% off with code SHAKEN, you're getting chic style at such an amazing cost. I love how current they are too, with new jewelry collections released every Friday on their website. I mean, how cool is that? It makes me look forward to the weekend even more than I already was and in style, might I add. 
These pieces are great for yourself, but I got a few pieces for my family as Mother's Day gifts and birthday gifts. A lot of people coming up that I got to get gifts for. So go treat yourself and your loved ones and use code SHAKEN to get 10% off. We absolutely recommend them. They're a great brand making beautiful, sustainable jewelry. Go check out analuisa.com slash shaken, code shaken, or click the link right in our show notes. So John Allen Muhammad was born John Allen Williams, but changed his name after joining the Nation of Islam in 1987. Now, the Nation of Islam is not regular Islam. Right. Um, they're, they're a religious and political organization that was founded in the 30s, based in Chicago. Its members want a separate state for African Americans and believe that Allah will be visiting Earth in a spaceship called the Mother Plane to kill all the white people and help believers build a black utopian society. So very, very different from otherwise, you know, peaceful Islam. Um, I often wonder how like people's sense of reality, like when you read that to me, like that sounds just crazy. Like even if you reverse the races that it was like kill all black people and help whites build a utopian society, let's just say like, that sounds fucking wild to me. Like, how do of course, people actually yeah. believe this shit? Like, I don't. How yeah. do we get from reality to this? <laughs> well, and it's not just this in particular. You know, the nation of Islam. It's like there are so many. It's just radical... QAnon crazy things I'm talking about is like this whole thing of like this mother plane and someone's going to come. To- I'm like, really? Where yeah. are you getting that information from? Why totally. are you believing that? Exactly. Where's the evidence? It- What's going on? Well, no one's thinking that way, obviously, in this Absolutely. in our society these days. But um, John Allen Williams was a loving father and husband to his now ex-wife, Mildred, until he returned home from the Gulf War in 1991, at which time Mildred, rec- Mildred recounts excuse me, his personality change. She says, quote, he was angry all the time and he was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. He would pick apart everything I did and said that I wasn't smart. Nothing I did was good enough. Everybody was more important to me, end quote. And I mean, you know, listen, I we don't this I'm not apologizing for anything, but PTSD is a very, very real thing that so many military members and not even just military members, but it obviously, you know, affects them in a very specific way deal with on a daily basis. And yeah, I just don't feel like especially as we not celebrate, but, you know, think about Mental Health Awareness Month in May. um, I just feel like they're not getting, you know, PTSD isn't getting the attention it really, truly deserves in terms of awareness. I've read a lot of books on it, uh, just interested in psychology. And the thing about Mm -hmm. PTSD, and just let's take Mildred and John as an example, it's like, obviously what John, well, from what we know right now, it Mm -hmm. does seem to be a very, like, you know, clear-cut reflection of what happened to him uh, overseas. And it is clear-cut PTSD. But often, you know, people don't understand that the person on the other side of it, Mildred, uh, also experiences a yeah. lot of suffering based on that. And so it's kind oh, yeah. of two victims of a similar thing. Mm, and so while you have, to, you have to be kind of, I think, empathetic and sympathetic and understanding, certainly from a John's perspective of PTSD, we also mm-hmm. can't forget about the people who also have to suffer too D- yeah, when totally. they come home. Because that's often, it's like, oh, it's PTSD, you should just understand. I'm like, no, that's a very, like, people are in harm's way sometimes because of it. And I'm not saying that totally. that's that person's fault, but there's two sides to it. And I think we have to, as we are, we're showing kind of both sides of that. Yeah, I think, you know, you make a great point. PTSD a lot of times manifests itself by, the you know, how it relates to victims of On your of partner. It, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that can um, be hard. Yeah, absolutely. Mildred and John divorced in 1999, at which time she obtained a restraining order against him, although he was still allowed week uh, weekend visitations with his children. In October of 2000, 40-year-old John Muhammad and 15-year-old Lee Boyd Malvo met in an electronic store in Antigua. Very random. Yeah. In October 2002, John and Lee killed 10 people and injured another three over the course of 24 days. On October 2nd, the first attack took place around 5.20 p.m. when a bullet shattered the window of a craft store in Aspen Hill, Maryland, where it narrowly missed a cashier. Less than an hour later, at around 6 p.m., 55-year-old James D. Martin was shot in a parking lot in Wheaton, Maryland. These are all... 
uh, cities and towns I'm very well aware of. I just like really remember this as a kid. Me too. Yeah. I just really remember hearing about, and I think then we thought it might have been a father and son. Like That's when right. the first yep. reports came out, it was unclear. But just yep. like of how chaotic this whole thing was. I mean, yeah. How well, scary then, this whole thing was. Sorry to well, interrupt, but it's no, back it is. memories for me exactly. too. Exactly. No, exactly. I think even being in New Jersey, Darren, that you I'm sure there was heightened awareness of this. It was certainly um, on the news all the time, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Well, then on October 3rd, five more murders took place. At 7.41 a.m., 39-year-old James L. Buchanan was shot and killed while mowing the lawn at a Fitzgerald Auto Mall. Terrifying. 8.12 a.m., minutes later, 54-year-old Prem Kumar Walakar was shot and killed while filling his taxi with gas. I remember this one specifically. I remember, or maybe not this one, but the gas station one because everyone was scared to get gas after that because they were like it's kind of open if you think about a gas station it's open area you know you got to fill you know fill that space with cars so you know i could totally understand people being worried I minutes mean, even later now i get scared sometimes pumping yeah. gas by myself late at night just because it fe- you feel very sure. vulnerable up there you know that's exactly yeah that's exactly what i mean minutes later 8 37 a.m 34 year old sarah ramos was shot and killed while sitting on a bench you know like this is now you're you know we're getting into the details here it's like okay well clearly like these this isn't a retaliation effort there's no these people are reason, yeah makes it scary 9.58 a.m., 25-year-old Lori Ann Lewis Rivera was shot and killed while vacuuming out her car at a gas station. Mm. And then at 9.20 p.m., 72-year-old Pascal Charlotte was shot and killed while walking on the streets of Washington, D.C. So this was spanning, you know, we, we began in, uh, where was this, Wheaton, Maryland, Aspen Hill, Maryland, and then uh, finally someone was shot on the streets of D.C., a 72-year-old man. So... Um, very scary, very disturbing. Um, I'll get into some of my own thoughts about how this was affecting me, Darren, um, as we go through the case. Well, yeah, because as we see, you know, it, it, the, the age ranges is from 25 to 72, all different right. sexes, all different genders. And so there's really no, it's not like these people are just taking it out on women or just taking it out on old men or whatever. Just as a quick question, um, the, the drive difference between maybe an <clears throat> Aspen Hill or a Wheaton, Maryland to Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., I mean, and that's all feasible to do within a day, no problem. Like, that's not... Oh, yeah. This is all very close to each other, right? Yeah, Aspen Hill, Maryland is just basically, like, right out... So is Wheaton, like, right outside of um, D.C. So, so it's like a suburb, basically. Yeah, kind of, okay. exactly. So, like, basically Baltimore and D.C., for those who don't live in this part of the country, are about a 45-minute drive from each other, and there are a ton of suburbs between and around both of those cities. So it's kind Got of it. like having two cities in one, yeah. Got it. Got it. Let's face it, taking trips to the post office is probably not how you want to spend your time. That's why I recommend mailing and shipping online at Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows you to mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. Send letters, ship packages, and pay a lot less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS right to your computer. Stamps.com is a must-have for any business, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. With Stamps.com, you get discounts up to 40% off post office rates and up to 62% off UPS shipping rates. And not to mention, Stamps.com is a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder nearly 1 million small businesses already use Stamps.com. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk, and with our promo code SHAKEN, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SHAKEN. That's stamps.com promo code SHAKEN, S-H-A-K-E-N. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Well, investigators determined that bullets from several of these first seven shootings were fired from a high-powered 
uh, 223 caliber rifle. The mm. seven attacks were quickly linked, and within just a few days, and with the help of the Montgomery County PD, the FBI had 400 agents around the country working to locate and apprehend the sniper. Wow. Now, obviously, this is obviously very quick for this to happen, yeah. but, you know, a lot of cases that we read about, and, you know, they're older cases, it's hard to link things. You know, murders happen every day, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure yeah. someone who's getting, as shitty as it is, I'm sure someone is getting murdered right now in every state. And mm. we're not confident how to link those things. But I think when these killings are happening, you know, eight minutes apart using the same type of weapon, yeah, it's very yeah. easy for the, you know, police and FBI to kind of come together on this and be like, there has to be some sort of conspiracy or something going on here. And, you know, the FBI had set up hotlines to collect tips from the public, evidence experts working to digitally map and analyze each each crime scene, and behavioral experts working to create profiles for the shooter. On October yeah. 4th at 2.30 p.m., 43-year-old Caroline Sewell was shot and wounded while loading bags into her car at a craft store. It's mm. a, a lot of these things that we're seeing. It's they're vacuuming, they're putting gas. It's it's these completely yeah, everyday run-of-the-mill things, you know, mowing exactly. the lawn, like run-of-the-mill things. And that's probably also where you're most vulnerable because you're not really aware. Totally. You don't need to be aware of your surroundings as much when you're mowing your fucking lawn. Right. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is happening to these people, you know, in a traditional setting. Like, at least I can go to the craft store. Like, no, you can't even go to the craft store. Like, this yeah. random sniper is going anywhere. Well, to make it even worse, on October 7th at 8.08 yeah. a.m., 13-year-old Iran Brown was shot and wounded at his middle school in Bowie, Maryland. Mm. Uh, really sad. By the way, did you just hear about that girl who brought that gun to school? Shot up a few of her. I did, yes. Yeah. I saw that in the news. I didn't Which read it. Which caught my eye, only because you never... Not, I'm not stereotyping here, but these tend to be male killers. There's a lot more, you know, male That's right, yeah. you know, shooters than females. And so I thought that was very interesting from a girl's yeah. perspective. I'm sure we'll get into it as more details unfold. But back to the case. John and mm-hmm. Lee left a tarot card, John. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was mm-hmm. a cat tarot card. We may never Maybe. know. Maybe. We don't know. They left a tarot card with a note to law enforcement written on it. However, this note contained no specific demands, which is what we kind of normally see at this point. Authorities knew the shootings were linked, but really had no clear leads. And not only did they not have any clear leads, sorry to interrupt you, but they had no idea like how this was happening. Remember? Or how many, or how many. Yeah. It's just one shooter is this five guys, this five girls, who fuck knows. And there's no like, you know, obvious... You know, we'll get into like exactly what their tactics were, but like they didn't know where even the bullets were coming from. They couldn't even look and see, you know, what the hell was going on at this point. So it's kind of like that adds a whole other layer of like, where do they go from here if they if these things are completely random and they have no, you know, like footage of where the bullet was coming from or who was shooting or anything like that. Well, I hate to say it, but it's very much so like the JFK assassination, which, totally, you know, I think yeah. we kind of know what happened there now. But originally when it happened, it was like, is it mm-hmm. coming from the bush? Is it coming from the guy with the, like, where, what? Like, very just chaotic type of killing. We need to do the JFK sh- uh, case on this show because remember there were some recent developments in the JFK files that the government was creating unclassified. Making yes. things unclassified. I need to look into that. I forget what happened with that. Yeah, anyway, let's let's going. actually keep that in the back of our minds yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. Um, well, they believed, and this is sort of what we were talking about before, even with the school yeah. shooting, they believed that the shooter was likely a white male. But honestly, this is just based largely on the fact that most serial <laughs> killers are, in fact, white men, which is, you know, listen, you have to generalize when you want to kind of narrow down things. And that, that shouldn't mean that you're oh, yeah. limiting out in your mind that it couldn't be a Hispanic person or a woman or whatever. Um, well, but this that, is just the math of it all, right? It's this is just like, the math, right? Yeah, this is what the data is showing. So. Now, authorities had also received a number of conflicting reports about the vehicle the sniper used. They'd received accounts of a white box truck and a dark Chevrolet Caprice oh, yeah. all being seen near the crime scenes. Now, you know, if this was a if this was a Honda Civic, I'd say, well, every other person <laughs> in America has a Honda Civic and a total Myself uh, included, Corolla. by the way. Right, and a Toyota Camry or Corolla. So a dark Chevrolet Caprice all being seen, a white box truck that, you know, that's enough of awareness thing to be like, hmm, is that related? And October 9th at 8.18 p.m., 53-year-old Dean Myers was shot and killed at a gas station. Mm. On October 11th at 9.30 a.m., 53-year-old Kenneth Bridges was shot and killed at a gas station. I mean, this is a lot of murder in a a week's time so far. 
in a week's time at, at just random things. Yeah. On October 14th at 9.15 p.m., 47-year-old FBI analyst Linda Franklin was shot and killed while putting her bags into a trunk. I mean, a lot of this crazy. has to do with cars. I mean, there's obviously a reason here, right? And October yeah. 17th, a Roman Catholic priest in Ashland, Virginia, received a call from two men who claimed to be responsible for the shootings. Hmm. Very interesting. Now, the callers detailed the crimes to the priest, also admitting that they were responsible for the murder of two women a month earlier during the robbery of a liquor store in Montgomery, Alabama. It was later discovered, however, that only one of the women were actually killed during the robbery. Uh, okay. They might not have thought that because they right. uh, shot them and just uh, shot the women just and just assumed. Yeah. yeah. Now, the shooters asked the priest to inform the police of the September robbery. And the... Which is interesting, because, like, you're already admitting it to a priest. Why this priest? Now, investigators ran with his lead and learned about a crime that matched the description to the one the alleged sniper described during the call. It turned out that both fingerprint and ballistic evidence were available from the liquor store shooting case. Hmm, interesting. Yes. So on October 19th at 7.59 p.m., 37-year-old Jeffrey Hopper was shot and wounded outside of a steakhouse. At this crime scene, authorities found a second note, this time demanding money and instructing police to call a certain number at a designated time and place. So now, I mean, imagine the news reports at this point, right? Like there's all yeah. this murder, all this shooting. They're on a, probably a nationwide manhunt to some degree. Now there's there are notes demanding demanding money and there's a mysterious phone number to call. I mean, this is all the makings of a media storm. You know what Circus. I mean? They yes. love and, this shit. And, you know, you're creating as the sniper, you're creating enough confusion for it to be so random that right. you're scaring everyone to go out. I mean, when Son of Sam was in New York City, you know, none of the women wanted to go out in public because right. it was yeah. just there's no like oh, it's just blondes or just brunettes yeah. or just kids or just women. It was so not specific that it scared everyone. Well, I that's a great segue into one of the things I wanted to mention, which is that my dad lives in Baltimore and has lived there his whole life. My grandfather um, was driving down and was working in Baltimore for the work week and coming back to Western Maryland on the weekend. So one of the conversations I remember having as a young child was like, you know, my grandmother and people that knew both of them were like, uh, maybe just stay inside or like, don't go to work if you don't have to. Like, this is kind of crazy, which I know sounds crazy, right? Like, don't go to work because what are the odds specifically? But it's like, that's what so many of these other people and these names we just listed probably thought too. Well, yeah, and no one ever thinks about, like, you know, when people are flying on a plane, there's a reason that people are scared of flying on a plane, even though it's the safest form of air travel, Mm -hmm. right? Like, no one's thinking rationally. It's like, oh, well, I have a 0.01% chance of getting shot. It's like, no, this fucking random person got shot. I feel like I could randomly get shot. So it's not really anything, like, rational-based, because it's all just fear and emotion. And I I believe that, that, you know, that's justified. I'm just saying that, like, that's why people think that, yeah. Yeah, so it was like a really weird time for our family because knowing my dad and grandfather were down there in the middle of all that, in a sense. Well, while the phone number that was written on the note was not valid, technicians at the U.S. Secret Service Crime Lab matched the handwriting on the note to the handwriting on the tarot card left uh, at the o- October 7th crime scene. So these are the same person, according to right. the U.S. Secret Service. On Monday, October 21st, FBI agents from Alabama flew to Washington, D.C. with the ballistic and fingerprint evidence from that liquor store shooting we were just talking about. On Tuesday, October 22nd, at 5.56 a.m., the final shooting took place. 35-year-old Conrad Johnson was killed while standing on the top step of his Montgomery County ride-on bus. Oh. I mean, now this guy like inside a bus and you're not even safe terrible the same day the fbi's fingerprint database produced a match with the liquor store prints it turned out the fingerprints belonged to lee boyd malvo who had a previous arrest in washington state now this is a great example of um by the way lee who was a jamaican immigrant had also been fingerprinted in 2001 by the u.s immigration services so they had that but all of this is a great example like i think about some of our more historic cases we've done like pre-dna and pre-whatever 
This was a great example of technology and infrastructure and networking coming together instantly. Yeah, and it make absolutely. doesn't it make you think like how did they even solve crimes to an extent? It you know, before this stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because you know my best friend just had a baby, and oh, congrats! He's, he's telling me this was like a month and a half ago. I've been posting on my Instagram. Yeah, I've seen. Mesa, yeah. And she's so cute, and you know, I'm talking to my friend Brian. He's always like, you know, well, we need to have the snoo in order to rock our ship. I go, Brian, I go. What did people do 400 fucking years ago when they didn't have laundry machines? Like, clearly there's some, I mean, like, granted, yes, we want to make it easier on ourselves. That's why it's technology. I was like, but like, it's possible to raise a fucking kid without having a dishwasher. Like, clearly, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, we're going to be okay. Like, everything's going to be fine. By the way, I can just hear the moms listening right now, like, typing out a storm to you, Darren. No, we must have dishwashers. No, we I mean, listen, have I laundry agree. Machines. <laughs> he was just making it seem like I can't raise my kid without it. And I was like, no, no. Yeah, like society has existed. Trust me, I would 100% want every snoo, bassinet, whatever the fuck. I was just telling him to yeah, be like, yeah. it's going to be okay. Like, my best friends you know. had a kid in last February, so I know exactly. Like you and I are pr- trying to keep them, you know, in check, Calm. I feel yes, like. Yes, right, yeah. exactly, yes. <laughs> Well, anyway, back to the story here. Lee's arrest record provided agents another interesting lead as well, as it mentioned he had been traveling with an African-American man named John Allen Muhammad. Uh Investigators learned, yeah, not only was John a veteran of the Persian Gulf War and a qualified expert marksman, Uh but he had... Also in possess was also in possession of a rifle, a Bushmaster 223, which I have no indication of what that is, but I am assuming it's a rifle. I'm kind of remembering the imagery around this from when I, I was. I could make a, a yeah. sexual joke with Bushmaster, a but Bushmaster. I won't. <laughs> okay, let's let's but hold that one for next. We're moving time, on. Yes. All right, moving on. Authorities also discovered that John's possession of the weapon was a federal violation, as his ex-wife had previously served him with a restraining order that prohibited him from possessing a firearm which i didn't realize restraining orders uh came with that you know like you can also you can't also have a firearm kind of like a felon you know, I didn't m- know that, but it makes yeah, sense. It does make sense, yeah. The FBI were now able to charge John with a federal weapons violation, and as John uh, and Lee clearly had legal ties to one another, the FBI and ATF were able to jointly obtain a federal material witness warrant for Lee. So now they have basically everything that they need to basically go find these guys and maybe match them up and, and figure out you know what connection, if any, they had to these cases. So the same day, authorities learned that John owned a blue 1990 Chevy Caprice with New Jersey plates. Darren, there's your connection there it uh, is. to the case. They might oh, have borrowed Jersey's, a car. They, Jersey's always got to have something, some involvement. <laughs> right. There. Well, on October 23rd, at approximately 11.45 p.m., the car's description and plate numbers were released to the media, which ultimately led to the arrest of two men. And Mm -hmm. very soon after, the car was seen parked at a rest stop of I-70 in Frederick, Maryland. Okay. Can I just pause for one second? Please. Darren, I-70 in Frederick, I've driven it, I'm going to say thousands, if not tens of thousands of times in my life. Wow. That, That rest stop that they found him in, I had just been driving by a few days before this because we I was in the marching band. I was part of the high school band, and we were very close with the football team, so we would travel to every one of their away games. And I will never forget, like, thinking, oh, my God, like, days ago, I was right by that rest stop. We may have even stopped at it. Um, wow. It's a pretty big, popular rest stop, and Frederick, Maryland is only about an hour and ten minutes from where I am right now, so... Very close to that's home. That's eerie. Yeah, that's really well, eerie. And the thing about it, too, was like all of this was happening in the D.C. Baltimore area. And then um, the, the car was spotted in Frederick. That was telling me what? He was moving out of the D.C. area headed towards Western Maryland. So it oh was very unsettling, especially for all of us. Like if he wouldn't have been found there, God only knows what could have happened. Well, with, within the hour, authorities were on site, and on October 24th at 3.19 a.m., John and Lee, who were sleeping inside the vehicle, were arrested and peacefully taken into custody. I'm glad it was peaceful there. When they yeah. examined the car, investigators were horrified at the evidence they uncovered. A hole had been cut in the car's trunk <sighs> near the license plate so that shots could be fired from within. I mean, this is like 
bunker shit, but in your car. Totally. And can I just add one last thing here, uh, just because I remember how this affected me. I remember think, like hearing that news. This was I was probably in ninth, tenth grade. I forget exactly. Sometime in high school. And now every single time I see like a Chevy or an older looking car, I look at the trunk to see if a hole is cut because I'm so really? that. Yeah, because that thought of like anybody could just be in the trunk with a with a uh, a gun is so terrifying to me. Like I always think, what if I see it and then like I can spot it and be prepared? You know, it's just psychosis. It's my own. No, psychosis, I mean but... it would that would that would still do that though. I would you I know would what carry I mean? yeah. that kind of trauma with me from as I was a kid. Yeah, probably. but yeah. Well, inside uh, the partition basically between the back seat and the trunk of the car had been kind of mm-hmm. removed, so that allowed the shooter to climb into the trunk from inside the car. So just kind of kind of a gutted car almost it looks like. And in, this in also means yeah, and this also means they don't have to get out of the car with a rifle in their hand. They can just simply, you know, nonchalantly just yeah, get into the back part of the car, right? Good point. Take a drink. And inside yeah. the vehicle, agents also discovered the Bushmaster rifle that had been used in each shooting, a rifle scope for taking aim, a tripod to keep the gun steady, the digital voice recorder used by both men to make extortion demands, mm. a laptop stolen from one of the shooting victims containing maps of shooting sites and getaway routes. I mean, this is kind of this oh. treasure trove of just yeah. solving the case of these this, these policemen, and shortly after the two were arrested, Lee confessed to being the shooter for all killings. However, he later recanted this statement and told mm-hmm. mental health experts hired by his lawyers that John was the shooter for nearly all the deaths. Well, remember, he was the expert marksman. marksman. Yeah, right. so come on. doesn't now. mean, though, that it's like, it, I find it hard to believe that it's 100% one and 100% not the other. Like, sure. yes, pulling the trigger does obviously have more of an effect than not, but like, yeah, you know. I'm curious why he's why he took responsibility and then didn't. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, during his trial, Lee gave, Lee gave testimony about his relationship with John and their roles in the shootings. And Lee admitted to killing a bus driver in Montgomery County, wounding the 13-year-old boy in Prince George, Prince George County, excuse me, and acting as a lookout while John shot and killed seven others during the spree. Mm. And he stated that after deciding which of them would fire the gun from a hole in the vehicle's trunk, the two men did a test run by shooting at two women outside a liquor store in Alabama. Okay, so now Lee is basically saying that he is part of it. They, yeah, it's it's right. up for grabs of who's fucking doing the actual shooting. So, okay, right. but after the successful quote-unquote trial that ended uh, the life of one of the women, John announced it was time to begin the terror. John and Lee searched Montgomery County for good sniper locations that lacked security cameras. Oh. John would crawl into the trunk of the vehicle while Lee played lookout. Lee recounted, quote, once I told him he had a, he had a go, the shot was taken. Mr. Muhammad took the shot from the trunk. Oh, my God. So not only were they, you know, looking for random people, but they were aware of security cameras, too. I mean, that's a lot of effort, a disturbing Which effort. Which makes me feel like, are there not a lot of security cameras at gas stations? It's hard to say. I mean, this was what, 2000, 2002? I'm trying to think. I would imagine they had them back then. Yeah. I would think so. But maybe I guess if you're like out of the range of a security camera because they're just right, keeping right. it on the pumps, like why would there really be cameras like right. faced outwards? That it probably right, exactly. is an easy way to kind of get away with it, which makes sense now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, after shooting, John would crawl into the back seat, disassemble the rifle, and put it back into a black duffel bag as Lee drove away from the crime scene. Lee also gave testimony about his relationship with John, stating that the older man, quote, took me under his wing as a teenager, teaching the teenager about the Nation of Islam and teaching him how to shoot. And that was always something that I feel like we didn't, we don't ever really learn the full story to, because this guy was like, not an older man, but he was a man, and then he has this like young guy hanging out with him and like I don't know it just felt very weird to me that whole scenario and I just feel like there's there's so much more to that story I'm sure we don't even know there has to be yeah yeah well, Lee was largely abandoned by his parents. His parents separated when he was three and stopped seeing his father altogether when he was six. When he and John met at a shop where 15-year-old Lee played video games, he stated that John, quote, basically took me under his wing, and within a few months of their meeting in May of 2000, quote, he basically began introducing me as his son, end quote. There has to be some, like, weird chemistry there with people for them to do that. You know, like, yeah. they met at a shop where 15-year-old Lee played video games. Like, like what? Was yeah. that a recruitment? Is it a grooming thing? Is it... 
how do you know that this person is going to be trustworthy enough for you to like go on this killing spree with in a weird way? Right. Just, yeah. Especially as a, as a child, you know, like what the bizarre. hell? It's bizarre. Well, this mentorship involved John taking care of Lee when he was sick, putting him on a one meal per day diet of soy burgers and soup and enforcing a strict exercise regimen. Um, I just don't really know. Yeah, it does. Like now that you say that, like it's, it does sound like a recruiting type of thing. A grooming. Thing, uh, like I a guess. grooming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When asked by the prosecutor, quote, did you come to love Mr. Muhammad? Lee's voice choked as he answered yes. And I don't want to get into like the gay part of it all. Like I don't think that's what's happening here, but you can't help but wonder, was there some of this potentially? Like involved, you know, I don't know. Or because of how like Lee had grown up, you know, was largely yeah. abandoned by his parents. This was a transference Just truly, of his love for his yeah. for his for needing a father figure or needing a par- parental figure, let alone just father figure. Yeah. He needed parents. And so maybe right. that's this. Yeah. Well, Lee stated that John's intent was to terrorize the Capitol and that John had been the shooter in the first six killings. In his testimony, Lee admitted that John had a plan to carry out six sniper shootings a day for 30 days, followed by a second phase that involved killing a policeman, then planting bombs loaded with ball bearings throughout Ooh. his funeral. More explosives would then target the ambulance that would rush to the funeral site. So this is just stacked with terror. My God. Eventually, John planned to enlist and indoctrinate 140 young homeless men and train them to become snipers to orchestrate an attack that he believed would, quote, shut things down in cities across America unless he and Lee received $10 million. And it's important just to bring up up top what we talked about of him being part of the Nation of Islam. And Mm -hmm. clearly, you know, when you get to that point where you're thinking that someone's going to come on a little spaceship and rescue you... Uh, and kill all white people or kill all of any type of people. Um, You're devoid of any sort of reality here. And so him trying to kind of like stage this attack very much so reminds me of a lot of the cult leaders that claim, you know, a little bit of Charles Manson, you know, he was protecting us from the race war that was going to ensue and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think there's also a thing here that's popping up in my head. I don't know if it's popping up in yours about... What is the money thing here? Because he wants $10 million. That's his motive, so to speak, aside from the Nation of Islam stuff. But he wants $10 million. Like, what was his life after the Gulf War? You know, he has PTSD. Is he able to keep a job? Does he have anything in savings? Is he blaming, you know, those things on maybe President Bush at the time, a white man? Um, it's hard it's to understand. Possible. Yeah, yes. it's hard to kind of understand that. And I think, you know, people's security and and life security is everybody's like number one priority in everyone's life. And some people like this guy have just taken it to such an extreme, tragic, depressing level that, you know, maybe that factored so in sad. a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah it is. So sad. Well, after hearing of all of this, Lee was very distraught and recounted how he sat alone in a bathroom crying and playing Russian roulette with a 22 uh, revolver loaded with a single bullet. He'd pulled the trigger three times, but couldn't pull the trigger a fourth time when he realized that the bullet was in the chamber. Wow. So that could have ended even tra- more tragically for you, himself. You obviously know what Russian roulette. I mean, are yes, we, we don't need to explain. Okay, good. Okay. I Fair do, right. yes. For those who don't know, obviously it's You just put the when, barrel of the gun to your head. Yes. You fill a chamber with one bullet of like the six chambers that you can fill, and or however many chambers a gun has, I don't know. And you pull mm-hmm. the trigger uh, in hopes uh, that it, the bullet isn't in that chamber. Um, just yeah. Just to kind of play with... Play with God, if you will. Yeah, destiny or whatever you want to call it. Well, Lee's attorneys held that John had brainwashed the teenager, turning him into a killer. They contended that although Lee had very deep-seated anger toward John, he was never capable of fully detaching emotionally from him. Lots of psychologically... Rather, lots of psychology. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, I couldn't speak, apparently, in that moment. But yes, (laughs) you, you filled it in for me. Throughout his own trial, John continuously referred to Lee as my son, and during opening statements told jurors that he intended to prove Lee's innocence as well as his own. In fact, both the defense team at Lee's trial and the prosecution for John's trial believed one possible motive for the shootings were John's own children. 
John Jr., Selena, and Taliba, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, who were 13, 11, and 10, respectively, at the time of trial. So let's not forget, he had his own kids that he was sort of thinking of. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know why that would, like, motivate him to kill. But Yeah, okay, right. But- The prosecution speculated that perhaps John committed the shootings in order to terrorize his ex-wife, Mildred, into relinquishing custody of his children over to him. Mildred had divorced John in 1999, as we said, alleging extreme abuse and obtained a restraining order against John, although he still had weekend visitation with his children. It's also interesting there to also see that, like, you have to kill people in order for the government to want to put children back (sighs) in your hands. Like, I just find that to be so... Just such a mismatch of, like, rational thinking here. Um, totally. And then I'm also... Th- I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you if that was the end of your No, point. go, go. Sorry. No, well, just that, you know, he, he was targeting these random people and was successful in murdering them. It's interesting that if he had such a terrible, uh, you know relationship with Mildred, his ex-wife, like, it's interesting that he chose not to target her. You know I what think- I mean? It is. Because um, you hear about that a lot in these stories. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's like this, circ- it's like circumventing this into other yeah. things. Like, it's very weird. And it, well, in, in March of 2000, John had a weekend with his children during which he kidnapped them, bringing them oh, from okay. their home in Washington State to Antigua, where he actually met Lee for the first time, as we had mentioned. And, you know, John was arrested in Antigua for fraudulent immigration, was sent back to the United States with his children, where his mm. mother received full custody of them. So one begs the question, if he didn't kidnap them, would this have led to even more? Because that ultimately led to the mother having full custody. Right. The mother you know? of the kids, exactly. The mother of the kids, yes. yes yeah. Mildred. Mildred. Yep. Now, Mildred went into hiding, changing her name, her parents, Smart. and secretly bringing her children to Clinton, Maryland. And John became just obsessed with finding out where Mildred was, where his children were. Um, now, this was... I'm sorry to interrupt you, Darren. <laughs> I keep no, thinking you're, you're finished. I'm just thinking, you know, think about the time, early 2000s. The internet was around. There was no Find My Friends. There were no real smartphones at the time. You know, even Google wasn't in what it is today. So finding your kids back then and, like, what's going on with your ex-wife who's changing her identity it was probably not just very difficult, but probably extremely frustrating for him. And she has full custody. So right. it's, you know, he, he, they don't really need to have a relationship with him in any sort of way. And when yeah. John's longtime friend, Robert Holmes, was called to give testimony, he stated, quote, he knew where Mildred was. She was somewhere in the D.C. area. It was just a matter of pinpointing her location. Now, mm. in November of 2003, John was convicted on murder and weapons charges, receiving a death, sten- death sentence in the state of Virginia. He was executed by lethal injection in November 2009 after having exhausted all of his appeals to possibly get mm. out of it. And in November of 2009, Lee was actually convicted on murder, terrorism, and firearm charges and was sentenced to life in prison without parole. He was convicted of eight counts of murder, two in Virginia and six in Maryland, and was given life sentences without the possibility of parole on all accounts. Lee was hmm. spared from the possibility of a death sentence by U.S. Supreme Court ruling that declared it unconstitutional for juvenile offenders to be eligible for capital punishment. At least, thank God for that. After yeah. the shootings, two survivors and the families of six of the victims brought suits against Bushmaster Firearms, the company that actually manufactured the rifle mm. used in the shootings when we shed the Bushmaster uh, rifle, and the gun store where the rifle had been stolen from. Hmm. Bushmaster and the gun store reached a $2.5 million settlement with the victims, although neither establishment admitted fault. On March 6th of 2020, this was literally, you know, Basically, two months ago, almost to the day, Lee, who's now 35 years old, was married to 30-year-old Sable Noel Knapp at Red Onion State Prison in Virginia. And although Lee received life sentences, Virginia recently changed its laws to consider parole for juvenile Mm -hmm. offenders after they served 20 years of their sentence. I actually believe this is really important um, to do this. People who commit murder at 16 aren't the same people at 36. Uh, However, even if Lee were paroled in Virginia, he would have to begin serving his Six consecutive Maryland life sentences, essentially. Uh, Yeah. So Carmetta Alvarez, who was part of Lee's defense team and helped to break the mental and emotional hold John held over Lee, was present to witness the marriage ceremony, stating it was a beautiful occasion, given the circumstances of where it took place. She also also told the press that, quote, I believe Lee and Sable are soulmates. She sees the good and sees Lee as I've always seen him. And I think the world would have seen him had Muhammad not taken over his life. End quote. And you hmm. know what? This is exactly the point because we see a case here of clearly a guilty person 
clearly right. involved in something crazy. But if you are brainwashed into doing mm-hmm. that at a young age, how much of that responsibility is really on you? Is your I mean, own, are you yeah. are your own independent agent and you know, I think there's a lot of different ways you could kind of go about that. And so I'm glad that Virginia has changed its law because, you know, Lee maybe never had a, a chance to begin with. And that's not really fair for somebody who was abandoned by his parents, groomed by a mass murderer, and then sentenced to life forever. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have been in jail at all, but I also don't think it should have ended his life either. Yeah, perfectly put. I completely agree with you on that. Um, but yeah, that's it for the DC sniper case this oh. week. Um, you know, obviously follow us, uh, on, on social media. I'm at Carpe Darren at Jay Thrasher. Please join our Patreon if you haven't yet. We're actually about to upload uh, a little after show for our patrons on hey. Patreon. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, where I'm going to probably get John to say vagina at least three times. That's worth <laughs> the you know, five bucks a month, but you can find us on Patreon in our, our show notes, obviously at patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed. Should we get to some listener shout outs, Johnny boy? Yes, let's do it. Um, Katie in our Facebook group said, I asked my four-year-old if he wanted to make tacos for Cinco de Mayo tonight. He said, no, we can just go buy some at Taco Bell. And I love this Katie. And I think obviously your son is a big fan of our show and you don't even know it. So thank you, Katie, for sharing that. And Katie, like, come on. You know, as a mom, you were proud of your kid because he's like, no, mom, I don't want you to cook. <laughs> exactly. I'm a fucking Taco Bell, which I totally appreciate. Well, our second shout out goes to everyone who participated in our Patreon live stream on Thursday night. Yes. Patrons at the Truly Disturbed and Superfan level hung out with us. We talked about Sean's love life. Oh, he teased some things there. We took a family photo, which has been on our Instagram, and we drank if they so choose. I yeah. kind of came in drunk. Full That's right, you did. <laughs> and I admitted it, and I played a little Would You Rather with John. That's um, right. Up at the top, um, but it was a lot of fun, and I always have a good time. And it flies by. Like, we sign it on does. at 8, and then in 10 minutes, John's like, uh, it's, da- and it's Darren, nine it's o'clock. 9. Yeah, it's 9. <laughs> we got to wrap up. I'm like, oh, shit. All right. I know. The thing yeah. is, like, I would stay on those Zooms all night long, but, like, I do need to, like, go make dinner and have a life outside of just shaken and disturbed. Well, um, I will say I, I, as long as everyone keeps bringing their animals, which they do a lot. Uh, and I feel I like was going to say that yeah. for me, uh, like someone had cats and little cones. John, I died. I just Apparently, died. Yesterday. By the way. Yes, I know I did too. And you were in like full cat mode. It was so cute to see you in that way. The, apparently there was a bearded dragon in the chat last night. I don't know. It's a whole thing, guys. Obviously, wow. um, <laughs> we are going to be doing... That was actually a catch-up show from April. We were meant to be doing it in April, and we just couldn't make it happen. So we're actually excited because we're about to announce right here on the show our next one, our May Patreon hangout for the super fan and truly disturbed levels, uh, will be Wednesday, May 26th at 8 p.m., So if you want to join in and chat with us, ask us questions, or just meet other Shaken and Disturbed fans, like I'm secretly hoping like two single fans meet and they fall in love and they ask us to officiate the wedding. Well, if you remember, someone who comes to our Patreon live streams a lot uh, asked me to do a cameo to propose to her now beautifully teethed husband. Uh, We got Victoria on the (laughs) line with her her husband. So, you know, anything's possible when you uh, relate uh, to murder and all that stuff. But (laughs) I also want to say that it is Wednesday, May 26th at 8 p.m., so definitely sign up on Patreon. But we're going to be celebrating my birthday because it's two days after my birthday. It's a birthday Zoom. I hope I get to see new faces, old faces, and everything. (laughs) in between i gotta say love it and you and you know for everyone who wants to sign up as i said patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed it's in our show notes you know we're about to reach out to people to guest host with us so we're so excited if you want to sign up to come on the show sign up at patreon as a super as 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 john always puts (laughs) super dan as a super fan today uh and, and we're really looking forward to chatting with you and meeting with you if we haven't already can't wait Darren what an interesting show can't wait to get our after show up and running if you guys want to hear us talk about things falling out of the sky and crashing onto us then you're going to want to sign up for that because that's over on our Patreon as well and hear John say vagina okay everyone maybe uh, see you we'll next time guys see you next week bye <laughs> bye